Hey friends, it's been a while due to our global pandemic nightmare. We're preparing our comeback, but first we wanted to release this episode that we recorded before the world went sideways. Please enjoy this snapshot of life back in January before we realized everything would be changing forever. We hope you're all safe and healthy. Enjoy the episode. Hi friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Welcome to another episode of Finger Happy Hour. We're back. Hello, Anna. How are you? I'm fine. We're doing super well, Renee. This is the second recording in January. Right? Yeah. That's two. Two whole yes. recordings in January. The month that never ends. I was doing jury duty, and it feels like it was a million years ago, but it was only three weeks ago. What's up with that? Time is fake. Time is fickle. What have you been up to? Anything good? I'm preparing to go on holidays in early February to Portugal, which is nice because this is where my where my family is from. And I finished a big editing job. And this is actually something that I wanted to talk to our listeners about. Uh, you all probably know that I started my own freelance editing and I offer all kinds of different editing, including sensitivity reading for Brazil and editorial assessment and full developmental editing. And I was thinking that because I want to grow my portfolio, I've had a few clients, but I would like to have more. I would be very happy to offer our listeners a 20% discount. So if you want to have your work in progress edited by someone who has edited works that actually won awards, Yay, go me. <laughs> and also my authors. Do get in touch. Uh, it can be through Finger Happy Hour or through the Book Smugglers at contact at booksmugglers.com. You have to give them a special secret code to use. Space B69. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> sure, if that makes you happy. It does make me really happy. <laughs> okay, so then get in touch with me at contact at thebooksmugglers.com. Quoting Space B69 to get a 20% discount on any editing that you would like me to do. <laughs> that made me really happy. Just to hear you say it, I hope there are some space people out there who need editing. I could use editing if I weren't doing a million things and could finish something, anything. Let's talk about what we've been watching. What have you been watching recently? You know how I only go to the movies to see big blockbuster superhero movies because one, I find cinema very, very expensive. And two, I prefer to watch things with subtitles so that I don't miss anything. But I could not wait for Knives Out. So I had to go to the cinema to see that. And it is precisely what everybody else has been saying about it. It's super fun. It's very clever, and I just loved it to bits. I was completely surprised by the crime twist, which is not something that happens a lot. Wow, that's impressive. I tried to go see this after you were like, oh my god, Renee, this movie. But of course, I live in bumfuck Arkansas, and this movie left theaters like lickety-split. It was gone. It was very disappointing. So I have to wait until it comes out on streaming or on a way I can buy it. 
I might just buy it in hard copy side unseen just so I could rewatch Chris Evans in that sweater. Mm-hmm. There's a really funny tweet going around with a clip in it, and there's some dogs, and Chris Evans walking up to the house, and the, he's not happy with the dogs, and somebody quoted it Chris Evans deserves an award, and these dogs deserve an award for pretending not to know each other and not to like each other. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar level acting, Chris Evans <laughs> shooing away dogs. That would not be a thing. What else have you watched? I've watched The Witcher. Of course, you have. And we will eventually talk about it at length in an upcoming episode. But I thought it was really interesting because at first, when I first heard about it and I first saw how many times can I use the word first in one sentence, we are about to find out, I guess. <laughs> when I first saw the first stills of Harry Cavill. I thought this looks really ridiculous. His hair is unbecoming and this does not sound good at all. God, was I wrong about that. When people started praising it and I said, well, okay, maybe I should give it a go. And I watched half of the first episode and I was like, "Eh, maybe not. But then I forced myself to go back, watch the first two and then I was hooked. In fact, I was so hooked. I think it's one of my favorite Netflix shows ever. I really, truly loved it. Lots of really fantastic female characters. So many that even the ones that have what I would call problematic storylines, they aren't because there is no problem of scarcity. So then you can do whatever you want, I mean, to a limit, with a female character in that scenario. And also, I was very, very wrong about Heron Cavill's hair. It is gorgeous, and I would kiss it. Are you sure? Because I've been told by several people that the wigs are really bad. No, I actually really like it. We're going to get so many comments and emails going, you are wrong. How can I be wrong? He looks so good in it. I think this is the first time that I actually liked Heron Cavill. Space Bees, I need all of you to add us on Twitter and let us know whether you're pro Henry Cavill's hair in The Witcher or you know anti anti that wig. Let us know. I want I want people to weigh in. I want a number. <laughs> sure. I also watched something that I was really looking forward to. Dracula. Oh dear. BBC's Dracula, and um, it was. An interesting journey. The first two episodes I thought were amazing. It was very campy. The pictures do not do him justice. The guy who plays Dracula is actually really handsome. And he's very funny, which is not something that you would expect from Dracula. It's also very, very scary. There are many scenes that are proper horror. And I loved that Van Helsing in this is a woman who is a nun, Sister Agatha Van Helsing. And she's amazing. And then the third episode came along and they did a Sherlock on it and set it in contemporary times. And then it goes downhill very, very fast. But I still do not regret watching the first two episodes. So if you are curious about it, I highly recommend watching the first two and then pretend it ends there. And then I binge watched Sex Education Season 2 on Netflix because I loved the first season. And the second season was equally as good. It was horrifyingly embarrassing in many aspects, but also lovely. I remain bad at TV, Anna. That's all. But did you watch anything, though? I did. I watched... I say watch here because I put games under what we're watching. I am replaying Mass Effect, the first one. Of course, I have Femship. But this time around, I'm romancing 
Caden. Unsurprisingly, I love Mass Effect a whole bunch. This is not the first time I've replayed this game, but I do have plans to replay the entire trilogy. It's the thing that I'm doing to relax, where I do something that's just for fun, just for me, not related to work, not turning a hobby into like something productive, something completely unproductive that's super fun. That's for me. And that's what Mass Effect is right now. I'm almost done. I haven't gotten to Vermeer? Vermeer? I can never pronounce it correctly. People who are familiar with Mass Effect will understand the relevancy. I played the first part of that mission and I got to the whole thing and I was about to head to the Solarian camp and I drove the wrong direction off a cliff and died and lost all my progress. And so I got mad. <laughs> like I drove straight off a fucking cliff. Did I die by the hands of the giant Geth Colossus? No, I killed all those assholes. No problem. But I drove directly off a cliff. And I'm really mad about it because I just got a, a sweet armor that I really loved. <sighs> so now I have to go back and do it all over again. Also, I have downloaded a new game on my phone. And it's like, oh no, here she comes after me trying to get me to download a game. <laughs> but no, this is one of those never-ending ones, so I would not recommend it to you. If you play any sort of games and end up watching any sort of ads, there's these weird game ads where there'll be some characters and they'll be they'll be doing something and you'll have to make a choice. The characters will be doing something like walking through the snow, freezing, and you'll have to choose between two items. Like you can choose like a coat or some some snowshoes. Basically, they make really stupid choices and make you mad. Like, why would you choose that? And then they're like, download this game and play it. Listen. These ads are totally misleading. The games are nothing like that at all. I was watching these ads and getting increasingly, increasingly frustrated with like all these awful choices the people making the ads were making. And this is a tactic, obviously. Screw up and make and pe- make people want to download the game so they can do it right. They have my number. <laughs> so I downloaded one of these games called Township. The ads are so off the wall weird and don't describe the game. It's basically like Sim City. It's like you're building a town, you're farming, you're making products and shipping them via train and plane and helicopter. Like it's so cute and pure. Anyway, it's very calming. I mostly use it during meetings when I don't have my knitting. I did open it during a meeting recently and get a dirty look from somebody at the meeting for playing it. I'm like, listen, just because you're not shameless and don't have it on your phone, don't blame me. You are empowered to download all the games on your phone and play them while boring white men are talking all you want. You're only hurting yourself. It's called Township. Highly recommend. My town is called Storybrook because I'm a nerd. Aww. So you get to name your town. Yeah. Most people have named their town like Jason's Town. Renneyland. I would never. <laughs> and last, and I'm not going to talk about it a ton because we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I started The Untamed, which is a gay Chinese pyramid scheme show on Netflix. I forget how Anna describes it, but it's really cute. It's a Chinese fantasy drama that's a romance show. I watched the first three episodes, and I was very confused, but it's very pretty if you like super melodramatic events and like people having a lot of emotions at each other. Have you watched The Untamed, Anna? This is what I'm checking, because I don't think it's in... It's available on Netflix UK. Oh no, that's awful. Is the romance canon or is that fanfic romance? Okay, so let's be clear that this is a Chinese fantasy drama. 
And the web novel, like apparently it's a, it's a, it was based on a web novel and the web novel is like explicitly gay. But then they filmed this thing and because of the way that Chinese censorship works, they couldn't make it explicit. But if you watch the show and I've only watched three episodes and already I see this, it's not like explicit on screen, but if you're in, if you're like any sort of like story aficionado, if you've read anything or watched anything that had subtext in it that was very heavy. Uh, this is a romance show, and the two main characters are boyfriends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about it more in a little bit, because I interviewed Jenny from Reading the End about this very thing, because she is why I watched it. Cool. I love Jenny. That's what I've been watching. That's it. That's my list. There's some TV show missing from it, but sure. Yes, I know. I was supposed to have watched The Witcher today so we could discuss it, but I didn't manage my time well. If you don't read our newsletter, I wrote about my struggle saying no to people because I'm always wanting to say yes. Yes, I can do that. Yeah, I can take on that extra work. Yeah, I can have that meeting with you, even though it should have been an email. Like, I'm really bad at saying no, and I'm working on it so I can stop, like, misjudging my time and not having time to finish things. Although, to be fair to me, I was just sick yesterday. I didn't feel well. Yesterday was my Witcher day where I was going to watch it, but instead I slept all day. I feel like it's okay to give myself a pass on this specific instance. Space bees, please take care of yourselves. Yes. And enforce your boundaries. It's okay to say no to things if you don't have the capacity to do them. Now, Renee, listen to your own advice. Don't talk about it. Space Bees, what have you been watching recently? If you have watched something good and you think we might like it, please drop us a note on Twitter at FangirlPod. Descendant of the Crane is a book about Hasena and her family and what happens when her father is found dead and what Hasena does to find the killer and how her actions to try to find who murdered her father undo her kingdom. That summary is not going to prepare you for the level of batshit in this book. The summary cannot prepare you and not only can it not prepare you, if it tried, you would be like, I wouldn't, I don't want to read this. The blurb is trying to like seduce you in with this Chinese inspired fantasy with court drama and politics. Oh, hell yeah, but also you didn't prepare people for what's happening in this book. <laughs> Anna, what did you think of this book? I thought it was bonkers. I don't think I have ever read a book with that many twists. Each more impacting than the previous one. Perhaps one of them I saw coming, but both of them I did not see coming. Somehow it's not a gimmicky book. Everything makes sense and it's a lot of fun and I loved it, just to make sure. (laughs) I was really surprised at how many twists there were and how well those twists worked within the context of the world building. A lot of times twists can feel kind of cheap and like a deuce ex machina. Like you just need to do throw out a twist to make some stuff more dramatic. The book throws in twists to make stuff more dramatic, but it all flows from the same like really solid world building. It's so good. I loved this book. I could not believe some of the twists at the end of this 
book and we'll get into those. But the last third, I was just riveted. I was like, okay, what's what's going to happen next? Because I listened to it and I started on 1.2. And by the end of this book, I was on 1.8 going, oh, oh, I can't wait. What's going to happen? Same, 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 same. I also listened to the other book and I also spread <laughs> out because I needed to know. And it's so funny because it actually came out last year and I had it on my TBR last year uh-huh. and I didn't see a lot of talk around it. I think maybe Jenny was the first one that I saw who read it and, and liked it, if I'm not mistaken. And this is when I was like, oh, maybe I should read it because if I remember correctly, she mentioned that it had unreliable narrative, which, as you know, is catnip to know. It does have an unreliable narrative because at the end of the day this book is about deconstructing the very mythological foundation of an empire which was built on stories and on precepts by 11 fabled heroes that presumably had ended a tyrant's reign and this happened hundreds of years ago and Hesina and her kingdom are built upon this. But then as she starts to investigate her father's murder, all the lies become apparent. And not just the lies about the foundation of their empire, but also the lies that Asena has lived with her whole life. Her father, her relationship with her mother, relationship with her siblings. And I wanted to talk about the sibling relationships in this book because holy moly... They were so good. She has four siblings. Two of them were adopted twins. And one of them is um, a half-sibling. And she has relationships. And they are well-developed with with all of them. And all of them have roles within her court. Very specific designed roles for who they are. And that plays into their relationship too. And there are secrets about pretty much every single one of them. right like it's really hard i can understand like why maybe this we didn't hear a ton about this book because to talk about all the ways it's really really good and powerful is to kind of spoil it do you think we need to dive in i think we need to dive in and if you haven't read it please do not listen to our podcast go read the book first i am just really impressed with like how this book is plotted and how things fall together even the, like, the more and more batshit things get like eventually it all becomes clear if you have not read it yet and you do not want to see spoil for more explicit discussion uh you should skip ahead to the next segment if you have read it come along with us and let's discuss the twists what was the twist that got you the most which one was it okay that her father was actually alive and when she went there he looked like oh, this person looks like my father, but my father is not so young. And I was like, he's a fucking immortal. I didn't see that coming. I thought when they opened the coffin that it was going to, like, somebody else was going to be in the coffin. Sure. I thought the father would still be alive, but, like, actively alive and, like, fooling everybody. Like, he would have replaced himself in the coffin. That is also something that the book did not deal with. Akira and... Senna put him back into the coffin and rebury this person who is still yes. alive. <laughs> I, I did see, I think after that, then it was easier to 
against that her mom was the second. Yes. That was the only one that I predicted, but also Lillian and Sighing and the final revelation of all the machinations, but which was great because on the one hand, you have everybody crafting plans, expecting Hasuna to act a certain way, and she never acts in any way that people expect her to. Mm-hmm. So her unpredictability just <laughs> completely destroys all the plans that people had for her. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. The twist that surprised me most was the one that was at the very end. And it's probably, it's like almost tied with the Lilian and her her martyring herself to protect Hasena. Mm-hmm. But the one that got me, I think, the most was the end where Cyan brought her before the the court and accused her of treason by interacting with the sooth, the magic user who he took her to. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, I could not. And I was not okay. I was like, what are you? What? I was just like, you motherfucker. I'm coming for your entire life. I was so mad. I was like, I would stab you directly in the eye. But, but then everything was part of his plan. And I didn't see that twist coming either. The cyan was no. a, was a sooth. He was conspiring with their father to see if Hasena would be sympathetic to the sooth. And I do love that point that you made about how in other books you get like, oh, other characters are like controlling the, the main character. She doesn't have any of her own agency. That's not true here because Hasida has a lot of agency and she always uses her power and her influence in ways that people do not expect because they're using their own assumptions about who she is instead of like who she is, which is actually really surprising because a lot of these people like are pretty close to her. And I think the only one that really maybe got her was Lilian and the rest of them just sort of missed the mark repeatedly. And maybe Akira. And speaking of Akira... Uh, wow. (laughs) It was so, so lovely, that romance. Like, slow burning and kind of, like, more on the things that they don't say and how they act. I think a good comparison, and I do not make this comparison very lightly, in terms of how the romance progresses and in terms of how the unreliable narrative functions to the story, I would compare this to the Queen's Teeth series. (gasps) I know, right? That's a high compliment. If you are listening to this podcast, having not read the book, I mean, now you have to read the book because Anna just compared the plotting and the characterization in this book to the queen, Megan Wayland Turner. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I, like, I stand by it. Yeah. Because like read for like read alike reasons, I would absolutely agree. Although, like an emotional level, this is going to be a little bit more over the top. The point at which I fell head over feet for Akira and Hasena together was when they went to meet with the Prince of Kindia. And Hasena makes a lantern for Akira and tries to launch it, but it won't launch. Go it goes and crashes. She she has to like wait into the water to go fetch it and when she wades into the water, like Akira is like floating. <laughs> and she like sends them both underneath the water and it's actually super romantic and cute. Mm-hmm. But just like not over the top. The romance is not 
the point, really, but it's super nice. Yes. And very, yes, very slow burn. I really appreciated just how slow burn it was. So if you're into slow burn romances, highly recommend this book. (laughs) So do you see the ending as a cliffhanger? I mean, yes and no, because it leaves it open-ended in a way that could just be like, here's the situation. Here's what's going to come. There's going to be revolution. So you can sort of fill in the blanks. The things that it leaves undealt with, like there's no closure for mm-hmm. Hasina and Sayan. Hasina's just going to leave her immortal father buried underground. <laughs> yes. She doesn't know that her best friend May is alive. Because mm-hmm. at, at one point I was, I think I was listening to so fast. I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Someone is alive. And I thought, at first I thought it was Lilian, but no, it was May. There's some unresolved tension between her and Consort Faye, who her father had a son with. Her relationship with her other half-brother is sort of unresolved. And she is carrying a copy of The Tenants, which is apparently cursed. Exactly. And also, she has a plan of coming back with the enemy. Yeah, because there was a scene in the middle of the book where she goes to meet with the Prince of Kindia, and he was making Seuss slaves and forcing them to use magic to benefit him he wanted to trade her salt for Seuss so he could put them into slavery and she was like "Mm, no the plan at the seems like the end of the book she's going to go and she's going to try to ally with this person yeah i know it's like what are you doing there's, I can't find any sort of sequel information. So it's, there's just no sequel? There is no sequel information. She wrote on Goodreads that she, there is none planned. This is a standalone. She says that there could be others. But that as of now, there, there there's none written, no contracted. Who published this? Because I need to email them immediately. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I just want to say to our listeners that it ends well for Hasuna and Akira. There is hope in the horizon, but that that could be so much more. But there isn't. (laughs) I don't know who Albert Whitman Teen is, but I'm going to put them on fucking blast. But, Renee, listen to this, right? There's another book that she has coming out in 2021 only. She says that if we like the twists of Descendant of the Crane, we know nothing about the twists in this new book called The Ones We Are Meant to Find. And the story follows two sisters, one living on a deserted island with little memory of who she is, the other fighting to save an earth decimated by natural disasters while believing her sister to be dead. At least we have that to look forward to. Okay, so I need all space bees who have read and loved this book along with us to send Albert Whitman on Twitter, a note. I'm not one to be like, this standalone needs a sequel. I love it because standalone. But, um, somebody go and like offer this person a contract for the sequel to this book. It could be a great duology. Let's do it. Exactly. Based on our effusive discussion of this book, which I thought was going to have more substance, but ended, ended up just being me going, I love this book. Look at this great twist. Look at all these great characters. I'm sorry. I have no criticism at this time and I'm not taking questions. <laughs> How many space bees are you going to give this? It's five, right? Five. Five space or bees. Or rather, should we say 11?
So depending on what circles you move in, you may have seen commentary on a show called The Untamed. You may have seen gifts of one character looking longingly after another character and going, what is this? I have been seeing a lot about The Untamed because a lot of my friends have watched it and loved it. A lot of them are writing fanfic and reading fanfic and wrecking fanfic. There is a pretty strong fandom for this one. And I got curious and I decided to talk to Jenny from Reading the End, who was the advocate for The Untamed that got me to watch the first three episodes of the show. Anna, if it's possible for you to watch The Untamed, do you think you would watch The Untamed? Looking at it, at the gifts, I find the hairs ridiculous. But that's the same impression that I have that I had of The Witcher. Do I have an anti-hair bias? <laughs> so if you watch the whole thing and you find that it really stands out, let me know and I'll think about it. I had a very wide-ranging discussion about The Untamed with Jenny. She was very kind and came on to discuss with us what The Untamed was about. If you're curious about The Untamed and you want a general overview and also maybe somebody to explain the naming conventions and why every character has 30 names, I present to you my discussion with Jenny from Reading the End about The Untamed. Jenny, tell me about The Untamed. Okay. Um, the Untamed is a Chinese drama on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix or on Viki with ads on Viki. It is adapted from a web novel that is explicitly gay in both senses of the word explicit. It is about a group of magic martial arts clans who are uh, going through an array of internecine conflicts. But the the logline of the show is that it is a storm cloud one being soft for a sunshine one. And it's one of the most romantic shows I've ever seen. So what I wanted to do, if this is okay with you, Renee, is tell you a little bit about the two protagonists so that you'll have a sense of like what their relationship is. And then I figure you can ask me all your many questions. Yes, go ahead and tell us about the these two protagonists that if you haven't seen gifts of them on Twitter yet, you're you have stronger filters than I do. <laughs> okay, so the sunshine one is Wei Wuxian, and he is a disaster bisexual with the face of an elf. And I know that you're gonna say, like, oh Jenny, do you mean like a Keebler elf or like a Tolkien elf? And somehow his face exactly splits the difference between those two kinds of elves. He is very, very pretty. He flirts like breathing, by which I mean there is a point at which his storm cloud boyfriend is like, don't flirt unless you really mean it. That is a line that occurs in this show. His boyfriend is an elegant and refined storm cloud of pure integrity. His name is Lanshan. Uh, you will meet him and think, wow, he's like completely unreadable. This guy is a living embodiment of the emoji with the flat line for a mouth. But then as the series wears on, you will become a high level scholar of his facial expressions. So when you rewatch early episodes, you'll like remember the person you were when you watch those episodes the first time and how you thought like, wow, he's really not giving you much in this moment. But on a rewatch, it will be very obvious to you that he is in the grips of a feeling that you not only can identify, but you have written several well-reviewed monographs about. He falls for 
Wei Wuxian like a ton of bricks, and I'm going to say conservatively spends 65% of his screen time staring at his boyfriend's mouth. They are the most in love that there has ever been. They adopt a child together. There is a scene, literally, I'm not kidding, where Lan Zhan sings Wei Wuxian a song that he has written about their relationship. And while he's singing him this song, the show flashes back to every single time Wei Wuxian has smiled at Lan Zhan up to that point in the show. And also, that song is the theme song of the show. And also, the version of the song that plays over the closing credits is a duet sung by the two leads. The final thing that I wanted to say before I will take questions is that the first two episodes make no fucking sense. I think the only things I gleaned from the first two episodes are that Wei Wuxian has died and that people thought he was evil. That was 16 years ago and now he is back. And then it doesn't make sense apart from that for two entire episodes. And then you get to about episode three and you go into these flashbacks and things improve a lot very quickly. From the first two episodes, I gleaned that Wei Wuxian had died, then been reborn or reincarnated in the body of this member of this family who treated that person really badly. I couldn't figure out how he got there. No, it's never explained, so don't worry too much about it. However, it didn't matter that I didn't understand because it's all very pretty. Yeah, it's super pretty. I mean, they have everyone has very long hair and these very swooshy, beautiful robes. It's very pretty. I agree. They have elf shoes. Yes, and they have elf shoes. Yeah, there's there's many good things about. Oh, another thing that's quite confusing is that everyone in the show has like five names. So if you want me to give you like a quick primer on the names that the main two characters get called, like if that would be helpful, I'm happy to do that because it can get very confusing. That was my first question. <laughs> Okay, so everyone basically has like a long form version of their name and then a short form version that their friends and loved ones use. Wei Wuxian almost always gets called Wei Wuxian. The storm cloud one, Lan Wanji, his full name is Lan Wanji, but Wei Wuxian always calls him Lan Zhan, which is kind of like impertinent of him to do it because it's like overly familiar. So everyone has those two names. In addition, Wei Wuxian gets called the Yiling Patriarch, which is kind of like calling Sauron the Great Eye, where it's like a reference to him as Dark Lord. So if you're saying the Yiling Patriarch, you're like making a point of his wickedness. And then his older sister, an angel, also calls him Asian or sometimes Xianxian, and that's like his baby name. She's like calling him a baby version of his name. Lanjan also gets called Hang Wenjun, which is like a title that basically refers to the fact that he's famously very beautiful. <laughs> um, and also anyone can at any time hit me up on Twitter if they're not sure about any of this stuff and I'll like break it down further. That's the Cliff Notes version. If you want to hit Jenny up on Twitter about The Untamed, you can do so at Reading the End. I will attest that she is ready to answer any and all of your untamed questions. <laughs> I'm so excited to answer your untamed questions. What is it about The Untamed that makes you really, really love it? I think it's a combination of things. I like how super gay it is. Like I said, it's based on a web novel that is explicitly gay. Um, and they made this version, but because of censorship in productions in mainland China, they couldn't actually say that they are boyfriends and then husbands. But it is so obvious. And what I really like is that they, they have never once dinted on a reaction shot of one of them watching the other one do something. There's so many reaction shots where they're just standing there with hard eyes for like 30 seconds at a time. I also love how incredibly extra it is, again, at all times and in every way. Some of my first, like, well, really, my only early TV watching experiences were soap operas. Like after I grew out of kids shows, I basically didn't watch TV until 2005, with the exception of soap operas. It's pretty hard to make something 
so melodramatic that I won't enjoy it. Evidence for that claim is this show. It is so melodramatic. There's just scene after scene after scene of people having emotions at each other. I mean, they just go all in on the angst at every opportunity. Everything is a very dramatic reaction. It's just so much fun. And there's also a lot of like, I'm making it sound like everyone just has extreme emotional reactions to things, but it's also the case that extremely dramatic events are occurring. So it's really hitting a lot of sweet spots for me. The Untamed is a fantasy show, but the fantasy is way, way different than what I think of as Western fantasy. Yeah. So it's in a genre that I don't know totally how to pronounce. It's Wuxia, but I'm probably saying it wrong. So sorry, everyone. Uh, But it basically means like magic martial arts and refers to the same kind of thing as like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where people are like flying around, but also doing martial arts. And I was actually talking with our mutual friend Ira about this, and they started watching it with their partner. And he watches this type of show a lot. So he was able apparently to shed a lot of light on what was happening because he's more familiar with the conventions of the genre, which I am not at all. I've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but that was like 10 years ago or more. So there was a lot that I think I probably would have understood better if I knew the genre better. I'm sure there are like references that were missing. There are. And also, I think one thing that I found challenging is that I never I never felt sure if I was missing something because I hadn't paid good enough attention because it was explained in the web novel and they just left the explanation out of the adaptation. Because it was explained in the web novel, but the explanation was gay, so they left it out of the adaptation. Or because I didn't understand the genre well enough to know what was going on. And I want to say that was like several different kinds of confusion that I experienced while watching the show. None of it interfered at all with the extremely high level of love that I have for this show. I watched it in like two weeks. There's 50 episodes. You just jammed that straight into your face. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. Every time I saw someone in my life in those two weeks, they'd be like, hey, what's going on? And I'd be like, here's what happened the last five episodes of The Untamed since we spoke last yesterday. Well, number one, that's super cute. <laughs> I recommend this to everyone. Um, Luckily, I have a younger sister who has had a lifetime of me telling her what happens in books and TV shows. So she's not only used to this, but finds it like enjoyable and comforting. So she let me tell her pretty much every single thing that happened in The Untamed. All of it. That's dedication right there. I know. I know. She's a good sister. So there is a pretty big fandom for this. But the thing that I see a lot of people talk about isn't the two main characters, but the women in the show and how there's a lot of finished content for those women. I grew up in a lot of fandoms where like the big ship was the MM ship and then the ladies either got like fridged or written out in horrible ways. So it's actually kind of refreshing to see the fandom be like, I want more fic where the women get to do stuff. Can you talk a little bit about the women of the show? So there's essentially four main women. It's definitely a very dude heavy show. And I think another reason I enjoyed it is that the things that would bother me in a piece of American media, I feel like I don't have to worry about because in this, because it's like China's problem. So there's no women, but I'm like, well, the Chinese fans are like on that. I don't have to deal with that. That's the Chinese fans are handling that. So yeah, it's definitely a very dude heavy show. There's four women. They don't by and large come to good ends. One of the things you find out in the very confusing first two episodes is that Wei Wuxian's sister is dead. You find this out, but it means nothing to you because you haven't watched very much. And then if you're like me, you get 10 episodes in, remember this fact and just like scream no at the top of your lungs because his sister is an adorable angel. But yeah, there's there's basically four women. They're all incredible. Like I love them so much and I would die for any of them. So I'm not surprised the fandom has latched on to them. I also think it seems really clear that fandom has become a lot more self-aware about that tendency. 
like even just since I got into fandom, which is very recently, let alone since when you did, Renee. So I think that people are more cognizant that their minds are trying to make them root for the men based on patriarchy. So I think that's a factor. But I also think seeing these women who are so amazing and who you love so much, but seeing them not get their due, I think does make people want to explore that more. I also think that what you're seeing of the fandom and the obsession with the women has a lot to do with the corners of the internet where you reside. I don't necessarily know that that's all throughout the fandom, but definitely um, the people that I talk to about the Untamed are really, really excited for fic by women. And I think we should link in the show notes, if you don't mind, to our friend Anna, Forest of Glory, made a big, long list of fic wrecks about the women of the Untamed, which is amazing. And y'all should all check it out. I mean, I don't know if you've heard, but I love a list. You? Yeah, no, shocking, right? I think the other thing that I would say about this show is that the central romance is by far the most functional and supportive and well-run relationship that the show has. So a lot of the things that you would want to fix don't involve the main two characters, but involve side characters, including some of the women. Like a lot of the the real conflict, like the stuff that will really rip your heart out is sibling stuff. I definitely ended the show and was like, oh, God, I need I need more of the sibling stuff because some of it didn't get like all the way resolved or some of it was left unfinished when one of them died or this and that. Which, in fact, is a really lovely thing about the show. Like, I love that the romance is not the source of stress. It's, like, very soft and supportive, really. If you had to choose one favorite character out of the whole show. Gosh, gosh, gosh. This is very, very difficult. Possibly, well. Here I am. I'm out here asking the tough questions. (laughs) This is journalism. Probably Lanjan. I think the Stormcloud one is my favorite. He's so great at all times. From the moment he meets Wei Wuxian, it's clear that he is devastatingly attracted to him and finds it very annoying. And then he like quickly falls in love and becomes very like devoted, but also angry. But what I really enjoy is when you get back from the flashbacks and Lanjan has clearly dedicated his life to just absolutely icing out everyone who ever did his boyfriend wrong. And that is a really, really really pure joy to me, a Taurus and a grudge holder. Yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. I like becoming, I liked becoming a uh, a close reader of his very, very hard to detect. I feel like if people want to watch the show, if they read a summary of the first two episodes, it'll be way easier. I mean, I really have thought about this, Renee, because I want other people to watch the show and love it as much as I do. So I have thought about writing like kind of a summary of those two episodes to explain things. But I think it would just feel like noise because I would just be saying a lot of names and a lot of things that didn't make any sense. And not only that didn't make any sense, but that aren't going to be that important to the show. So like you can spend time trying to understand it, but I truly wouldn't bother. (laughs) I do like to understand things, Jenny. I do really enjoy understanding everything. I hear you. You know how it is with knowledge. You want to know everything and be Victorian of life. That's so true. I do want to know everything and be the valedictorian of life. That's really true. And so how can you be valedictorian of life if you don't understand this niche Chinese fantasy drama? You're right. I know you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. I I can't deny the justice of all that you've said. I will also say like one thing that this show has done for me. I started watching it. Freya of Be the Servant was talking about it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I like things that have the Stormcloud one being soft for the sunshine one. So I'll watch a little bit of this. And there was a moment, it was like a switch flipped where before the switch happened, I was like, yeah, this is fine. I could take it or leave it. And then after the switch happened, I was like, if anything happens to anyone in the show, I will kill everyone in this precinct and then myself. (laughs) But 
the impact of this overall has been it's made me less nervous about trying out like C dramas and K dramas. So I have like started compiling a list and and not be so afraid of things with subtitles anymore. I'm finally going to watch Full Metal Alchemist, for instance. Wow. Yeah, I've heard it's good. It's very dark. That's great. That's perfect for me. I love dark things. One thing, you know what? I will register this one complaint about the fandom. It's so sweet. Everyone wants everything to be like soft and lovely. And I get that. But I would like more angsty fic. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to write me some really brutal angsty fic or wreck me some existing really brutal angsty fic, please hit me up. That's what I want. That's the good stuff. My God. That's the shit that I do like. I Like set the angst meter to a million. That's what I want. Wow. Well, I'm sure there are some listeners who have already watched the entire Untamed and will maybe get back to you. I will pass them on if they do. Space Geese, hit us up. Jenny needs some angsty fic. Literally always. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was made possible by Fangirl Happy Hour's Space Bees and the Patreon Hive. Thanks especially to our Space Bees at our $5 level. Amanda, Amy, Anne-Marie, Brandy, Chelsea, Claire, Daniel, Dovla, Elliot, Eliza M, Elisa N, Heather, Hedwig, Debbie, Jen, Jocelyn, Transcendenson, Karen, KJ, Margot, Mark, Ms. Motivella, and Philip. As always, we appreciate our patrons for helping us make our podcast, and also Janie, who is a wise angel. Our transcripts are by Susan, who transcribes our weird sounds of horror and joy so lovingly. You can find her work at fangirlhappyhour.com. Our production is by Renee. I'm a goddamn treasure. Our art is by Ira, and our music is by Chuck Beats and Boxcat Games. Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode, and remember, ask for witnesses. I just want to elect a Democratic president and stop breaking up monopolies. I just want to, I want to end Disney's whole life.